since Abraham and as did with Ishmael and his birth. And you promised that that would be a harassment for the rest of Israel's life. And so, Lord, we give that to you, Father God. We pray also, too, Father God, for the other situations in our world. We see campuses that are being shot up, little schools, children, all the violence, Lord, and yet we know this is all part of the birth pangs of the end of time. But we also know it's part of the curse since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve walked away from you, Lord, that uh, we're going to live under this umbrella of hatred and sin and all kinds of stuff. We pray, Lord, that we, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, will stand firm against evil, that we'll walk in righteousness, that we'll push, especially this government that we have, to walk in the ways that you, our early country's fathers, forced it to, how it formalized a Declaration of Independence and how the Constitution all bears witness to Scripture that's inbred in it and it's woven into it to keep this land free but also to to love you, Lord. And today, Heavenly Father, too, we pray also for those brothers and sisters who are out there every day putting their lives on the line for themselves in harm's way to protect the citizens of this country and also on our streets. We lift them up to you. We pray also for our church as we are coming up upon this time of, of being moving to another denomination. We're excited. We look forward to the changes and the joy that we have now. And we pray especially, Lord, for us to be a witness to our old denomination of what we believe and hold true of the Word of God, and that they will see that. And that also, too, Father God, that um, our new denomination that will help us even more firmly stand with you and for you and for your word. I pray especially, Father God, too, for our people that we know that would love to be here on Sunday morning but can't. I think of Lucille. I think of Joyce. I think of Karen. We pray especially of Joyce after she had her surgery. I also pray for Howard, who had taken a fall, and I pray for his healing. We pray also, too, for Eric Everett Long, who's cancer, and his wife and her health issues, for Angie and for Samantha and Jason, all who are battling cancer. I pray also, too, for Steve's mom, our piano player, who's um, had some health issues and had to go to the hospital, bring healing to her. We pray also for Nicholas as he prepares for his surgery in the end of November and the beginning of November, and they make the plan to work on him and his body so that he can continue to move forward. Pray for Mr. Mack, or one of our teachers at our school that's battling cancer. Pray also too, Father God, for Connie Bannister and the family as they lost Bill. I pray for Evelyn Acton's family also who lost Evelyn. Be with them in their grief. We pray also for Floyd Road Armor who has uh, issues, Lord, with uh, cancers now and that he's getting treatments. We just pray and you will strengthen him. We pray also too, Lord, those who are in the battle with alcohol and addiction and drug addiction. I pray for Jordan and for David and for Eric and Ricky and Russell. All of them have different kinds of problems with that, Lord, and I just pray for their healing and that they see Jesus, Lord, and they can walk away from it and make you their Lord rather than a bottle 
or a, a fix. And Jesus, we pray for other issues that we know are going on in our lives and friends of ours and the quietness of our hearts right now, Lord. We bring them to you. We ask you to hear our prayer. praying for also the kids that play sports and who get injuries. We pray for our friend Christian here, Lord, for healing for his knee, for two young men in our school that have hurt themselves and have need healing. I just pray for them also, Father. And now, Father God, we come to you with wanting to hear from your word today as we begin a new series. Help us, Jesus, to hear what you have to say. And be obedient in it. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. How many of you remember when you were playing in your backyard with the kids? Or when you were a little kid and the ball and kickball got kicked up into the tree and when it finally counted down, somebody caught it and said, you're out. And you said, no, it's do over. How many of us have ever used that word do-over? How many of us have been playing ball or a ball got hit with one of the kids crossing the yard at school and we hit them and the ball went dead and we'd say, do-overs, do-overs. Well, how many in life would like to have a do-over? <laughs> how many times in life have we had it where we've had something in our lives that we have done and we'd really like a do-over. I know a guy that I was speaking with a few weeks ago who succumbed to adultery with a woman and he lost his wife and his children. Oh, he wished he could have a do-over. Or a 16-year-old girl who got promiscuous with her boyfriend and one night, not realizing how far they, realizing how far they went, and a few days later, it came out, and she was pregnant. And oh, how she wishes she had a do-over. The executive who worked his life, all his life, climbing up the ladder, trying to be the successful executive, but in doing so, he lost his family, his children, his wife. There's a lot of people who want to have a do-over. 30% of the average person who's focused on the past realize they can't change it, but oh, how they continue to regret and wish they had a do-over. I remember writing a letter to a gal in response to a letter that she went, sent me one time in the church. And man, I just hit me on the wrong day, if you know what I mean. And she let me know all her dissatisfactions and my, her disappointments in me as a pastor and what a failure I was. And I wrote her back. And I was very, very honest. And I wish I had that do-over on that one. I don't think I would have ever sent that letter. How many of us, after we've been through that, would say, watch what you say or write? Find new friends. Don't get caught up into it. 
Don't drink or do drugs. Wait until you're married. Be more honest with yourself. Finish your schooling before you make any more decisions. Spend more time with your family. Resist temptation. All those things and more. Because there are no do-overs in life. You know, a lot of times we handle regrets. And one is we try to ignore them and we bury them inside. And they affect us. The guilt gets to us. And sometimes we even struggle with emotions of depression. Because we stuff it inside and we're angry with ourselves. With somebody else. Sometimes we'll even rationalize what we've done. And try to put it off on somebody else. Somebody, sometimes what we do is we dwell on regrets. We beat ourselves up. And it begins to diminish our self-esteem. Sometimes we release our regrets and that's what we should do is to God. Because He's in the business of making us new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, He says, Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. And with God there are second chances. He's a God of great amount of second chances. And today we're going to begin the book of Deuteronomy. And it's not a popular book. And in fact, the book of Deuteronomy only took about a week. Whereas as far as Leviticus and all those other books took a long time for him to write, Moses did. But Deuteronomy is a book short. Because it's at the end of Moses' life. And he's got a new generation of people now that are ready to finally inherit the promised land. And what Moses wants them to do is was he taught their parents what they should do in order to have celebrate the Lord and worship Him. How to live morally with each other and how to have civil law with each other so I don't kill each other. He gave them all of that. And the children of Israel had that 40 years earlier. In fact, they spent almost two years by Sinai as he preparing them to go take the promised land. You see, Deuteronomy is a neglected book, but it should never be. Because, you see, it's the most quoted book in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Jesus, in fact, quoted it many times. In fact, Deuteronomy is quoted 200 times in the New Testament. Jesus is quoted it when he was being tempted. And for us to understand that God is a God of covenant and of grace and love. And Moses is trying to explain this to this new generation who was born in the wilderness. Their mothers and fathers had all died during that 40-year period as they wandered. This 11-day trip from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, right by the door of Canaan, took 40 years of wandering to finally get there. Because God had to discipline them and teach them what was right. And God wants to show them, yes, He is a God of forgiveness, a God of mercy, and that He wanted them to inherit the land. And now their children were going to inherit it. And Moses is going to talk to them about what it takes For them to inherit that land and do it the right way and to enjoy the most out of it. And Israel is going to cross the border to this hostile land. And Moses wants them to see what their parents did not see. 
You see, sometimes we can find ourselves so much caught up into the world that we miss what God has to say. That was the first generation. They didn't listen to God. They didn't have the faith. And because of it, they wandered for 40 years round and round and round in that 11-day journey. So that's why Moses begins with, he wants them to know where they are. And so he begins, this is where you are. And he writes these words. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. And Abraha, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hezeroth and Dezrab. And it was an 11-day journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord. He commanded him to give to them. And he had defeated Shion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Asherah, and Edrai. Across the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound the law, saying, one of the things we want to know is who, what, and why, and when. A lot of people don't appreciate history. But history is a great learning tool for us as we look into the future. And those who neglect history and don't look at the past are bound to fall and do the same mistakes again for the future. And so God has, has Moses now going to reflect with the children of Israel. Because this is a whole new generation. Their parents died in the wilderness. And now they're at the brink of taking what their parents should have taken 40 years ago, but they didn't miss it because they had no faith. And Moses now is taking them through the history and saying, this is why they messed up. Don't mess up. A lot of times people don't appreciate history, but we need to look at history. Even in our own lives, the history of our own personhood. In fact, one of the things I love to do is to sit down with groups sometimes and have them do a plan of their life for the years that they're alive. And go through the events of life that basically changed them. And the decisions that foolishly they made and how God delivered them and through them. All those different situations that he's been there. Like the son who went to the museum grandfather and says, Why are we looking at all these dead people? They're not real. He was bored. You see, history teaches us, as the Bible says in Corinthians, that we're to learn from it. So we don't fake those same mistakes in our own life. That we look at the history because history is God's history. It's his history. And as he unveils it to us, that's why we look back as Christians. That's why constantly in the Bible it says, remember, go back. Because that's where we learn how to do it right with God. And Israel's at Sinai. They were there, and they didn't get it. Now here we are. God has brought them after 40 years to the brink at Kadesh Barnea, ready to go into Canaan. And he wants to show them how to do it the right way and not like their parents did. How many of you are at a spot right now in your life that God has you? In a place of promise. A place of a future. A decision that you're going to have to make in the next three years, five years. That will be a watershed spot in your life. Some of you, it might be retirement. Some of you might be schooling. 
Some of you, it may be a new job. Or maybe it's even a decision about your health. We don't know. God does. We have to look at that and say, okay, God, where do you want me to be? We have to ask ourselves, what does God want in my life? What does He want now different in my life? You see, this is what He's saying to the children of Israel. You've got to do it differently. Don't do it like your parents did. Trust me. Look into the future with me. And trust me as you walk forward. God wants us to move. He doesn't want us to sit still. And the challenge is not to give ourselves excuses. Or make judgments because we're afraid. It's one of the scariest part of our lives. That we hide behind excuses. So we don't have to make that big step of faith. Some people will come along and say, well, I don't have a choice. Really? Moses had a problem with that. Why he blamed Pharaoh. He didn't have a choice. Moses blamed God. Moses blamed the people. Moses knew this because he was a pro at it himself. He didn't want to take the responsibility. But God said, no, this is, I'm putting this in your bucket. And you've got to make the choice. What are you going to do? Moses. Are you willing to do it? Moses wound up not being able to go into the promised land, but could watch them go and died before they went in. Why? Because he was disobedient to God. He didn't trust God. He got angry with the children of Israel and, 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 and basically lost it. And God said, no, you're not going to go into the land now. You can take them up to it, but you're not going in. Because of the choice you made. You'll have my rest in heaven, but you're not going to get it here on this earth. How many times have you seen people make excuses for what they've done? Blame other people. A couple of weeks ago, I ran into a guy who was taking him something because he was not allowed to see his wife because of domestic violence. <laughs> and when I saw him, I said, well, you know, you did this. Oh, it's not like that. She made me do it. I said, she took your hands and had you put them around her neck. Do I look stupid? Well, Pastor David, not like... Yes, it is. She doesn't control you. You said she made you do that? No, she didn't. It's a joke. You don't know what a nag she is. That's why you have to drink. No, that's not why you're drinking. You're drinking because you like to drink. Own it. Be responsible for your decision. See, Moses blames Pharaoh. <laughs> Moses blamed because he couldn't go into the promised land. It's because of the people. Moses had a lot of little things that he used for excuses. 
And he knew he was wrong. God gives us in his providence. He gives us free agency. He gives us opportunities to make choices and responsibilities. We have to make them. We have to own up to the responsibility. And do them. But you see, this is nothing new under the sun. We all know this. Our parents, Adam and Eve, our first parents, and this is where we get it from. We've inherited from them. Here God had a great relationship with Adam and Eve. They were naked and unashamed. Then all of a sudden, and God says to them, now don't eat from the fruit of the tree. And know, of course, you know what happened. When God comes to fellowship with them, they can't find him. They're hiding. And they've also put fig leaves all over themselves because they're embarrassed of what they look like. God says to Adam, Adam, what are you doing? Well, she gave it to me. <laughs> he played his wife. God goes to Eve. Well, the serpent made me. <laughs> the devil made me do it, right? We hear, we don't want the responsibility. We don't want to own up to our decision. And nothing can keep you more from moving forward in your life until you own up responsibly what you have in God. And that you do what he says. And when you flub it, you honestly come before him and ask him for forgiveness. And he will and make it right. When we do that, redemption comes to our heart. Forgiveness comes to our heart. And we can move forward. Sometimes we don't make the choice because we're embarrassed. Sometimes it's not in our comfort zone. Moses didn't want to go to, to Pharaoh because he was afraid of him. He didn't think he had the confidence. He didn't have the confidence. And God is pushing his envelope. Go to him. Do it. What about my brother? He was hiding. And God is saying, no, you can do this. You do it. Sometimes we don't make those decisions or follow God more than we should because we are afraid of the past or the future and, and that we don't feel it's as good as it was. How many people don't do things or give themselves to the Lord? Oh, they remember the past and how great it was and they envision the good old days and... They just don't think they can do it. That's not. When God asks you to do something, do it. A lot of people, if you were to drive your car today out of this parking lot and drive home, and you were just to look in your mirror, your rearview mirror, the whole time you were driving, how much long would it take for you to get in a car accident? And that's what happens with a lot of people. They get themselves into an accident because they keep on looking at the past. They don't look on to the future as Paul says, striving to look on to grab hold of God's future for me in Jesus Christ. 
That's what God wants to do. To strive forward for His future for us. That's what He was doing with Israel here now. The parents didn't get it. Now He's trying to get the kids to get it. How many of us sometimes don't get it because we're too busy? We don't have the time. Our priorities are so out of whack. We don't have the time to get close to God. We don't have the time to give ourselves to the Lord. So we give ourselves to other things. It's a typical story of the promised land. The children of Israel had all kinds of excuses. Why not to do what God wanted them to do? And Moses is telling these kids, don't let that happen to you. You're right here. You're at the edge of the promise that I've given to you. Your parents could have had and they didn't take up me on it. Now take me up on it. And Moses explains to them how they got there. I, the Lord, your God, has spoken to us at Horeb, saying you have stayed long enough at the mountain. Now, How many of us sometimes, as Christians... We'd rather stay at the mountain and hear from the Lord than to go out in the world and have to do all the stuff that we do. But that time at the mountain is supposed to prepare us. Instead, we're just wanting to sit back and enjoy. And it's at that point God said to the children of Israel, The Lord spoke, Now you've stayed too long, let's get out of the mountain and let's go accomplish what I've got out there for you, which is to take Canaan. So, sometimes it's easy to get into a routine of comfort zone. We get into ruts. Marriage can be a rut. And a rut is basically a, 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 basically a grave cut in the ground with two ends open. And just keeps on going. And sometimes we can be that way with our spiritual lives with God. We get stuck in a rut. We're not growing because we're not risking. We're not putting our lives on the line in faith for Jesus Christ. And we wonder why we're not feeling excited about the Lord. Sometimes we get into a routine. We want to repeat the feeling, but we don't want to have to risk it. And here God is talking about those inward hindrances that Israel caused them to not go into the promised land. How foolish it was. And they began to rot. Because they wandered for 40 years now out in the desert. Notice what the Bible says here. I said to you, you have come to the hill. Country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is about to give you. See the Lord your God has placed you the land before you. Go up and take possession of it. The God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God offered that to their parents. And guess what they did? They balked. They were afraid. They didn't let their faith in God grow. They let their fear take a hold of them. Oh, they had good intentions, but oh boy. They were hindered by their fear. They were afraid. 
They're looking at the past. And here they are saying to God and to Moses how good they had it back in Egypt. They forgot how bad it was. They were still dwelling on the good old days that weren't good old days. They were bad days. They were still holding on to old attitudes as Moses did and his anger got him in trouble in which he wound up stolen out in his faith. And God says you dwelt long enough in the mountain. I'm going to give you this land and they are not believing him. You know, it's amazing how sometimes we think something in our head is more dangerous than really is. How, do you know any people, and I, I bet you you do, how many people do you know that are afraid to fly? And they're afraid to fly, but they'd be willing to drive their car the same distance to the place that they have to go to. Now, you know what they're doing? They're going against pure logic. Because more people are killed in their cars each year. Way beyond what are killed in airplane crashes. But because they have to be 70,000 feet up in the air and they're not in control... And they hear those huge jet engines and feel that clump when you land... They're afraid to fly. And yet it's safer. And they say, oh, it's not as safe. No, it is safer. And you see, this is what the children of Israel, he wanted to get them beyond, but they wouldn't do it the first time around. They didn't trust God. And you know what? The 11 days it took them to go from the mountain to where they were going, Kadesh Barnea, they thought about it, and they thought about it. And they thought about what was going to happen and all that stuff. And they imagined the fighting that they were going to have to go through, and they froze. Moses takes and says, Let's take a guy from each tribe. Let's send him and scout into the land to see how bad it is and how good it is. Should have never done that. Should have just trusted God. But oh no. To try to appease. He said, here we go. And they come back. Ten of the twelve say, don't go. Oh yeah, the land is beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and, and the fruit is so big and it's so beautiful and plush. But, that's where it happens, right there. That three-letter word, three word called but. Their army, and they are so big. We're not going to be, we're a little group of people who are not well armed and we don't have that many weapons. And they got all these weapons. They're demoralized. And they let their fear rather than faith in God win. While Joshua and Caleb are saying, no, we can do this. 
God's on our side. He'll wipe them out. We can win the victory here. Oh, no, 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 Moses. And look what it says. Yet they were not willing to go up. And so they let that report cause them to fumble the ball. Here they had the ball on the one yard line. And God is saying, I'm going to take you through for a touchdown. And they're saying, no, no, no. God wanted to accelerate their blessing, but they didn't get it. They let their fear grab a hold of them. Maybe today you're at a point in your life that God has a place for you. Don't let your fears Hold you back. Trust God and let Him show you the victory He wants to give you. Oh, you know, we can listen. Oh, the crime is up. Oh, the stock market is down. Oh, uh, every kind of bad news gets to our head when we're pressured by faith. Shut up. Listen to God. Open your heart and let Him accelerate the blessing in your head. Don't let fear challenge you. It's so easy to let yourself get devastated and held back and forget what God has done for you. Easy fall into the Distrust mode. The old ways are better. God is saying to you, leave that and move forward for God. Learn from the past, yes. But move forward in faith because that's what happened with this first group. They moved forward backward with fear. And not with faith. And yet they allowed that reconnaissance mission to just take and sideline what they were meant to do and experience with God's blessing. They forgot what God had done for them all through their wanderings. And Moses is not wanting them to forget all that God has done for them. And how he brought them. And so he says, learn from the past. And trust me by faith. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Their parents saw that. They still didn't trust him. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you. The times you had no food or so no water. He provided for you. Just as a man carries his son. And all the way which you walked until you came to this place. But for all this you did not trust. You see, it's all a matter of the trust. Who goes before you, your God, on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp. And in a fire by the night, in the cloud by day, he provided all that for you. To show you the way in which you should go. 
Remember, have a strong memory of what God has done for you in the past, what he's taken you through, and trust him that you know he can do it for you in the future. I had a guy who had been a Christian for a long time. About a year ago, he called me and he said, you know, my pastor told me I need to talk to you. Pastor said to me, to me? <laughs> I don't know what I know. He said, you know, and the guy is a neighbor of mine. And it's funny. He said, but you know what? I felt God telling me to learn now that I'm retired. He's retired from Boeing. I need to learn how to share my faith with strangers and family. And I really am fearful of doing it, but I know I need to do it. He said, and they told me, this friend and this pastor told me to come to you and you will show me. And so sure enough, back in January, I took this man out and we'd walk around West Town Mall and East Town Mall and talk to people about Christ, about their relationship with God. And he got the good to see the good and bad and the ugly. And there was one guy who cursed me out or us out. But that's all part of the game. But he got it down pretty good. <laughs> and every day he's walking in the neighborhood or walking with somebody and he's texting me. I just talked to so-and-so. And asked them where they were with Christ. And they said they're Catholic and they're good people. And he said, but I said, do you know Jesus? Said, oh, no. And he would witness to them. Every day. He's a witnessing machine now. I don't know what happened, but he, he talks to all people all the time. And I'm finding out a lot of things about my neighbors that I never knew. That I didn't even know they existed. And I'm getting these texts on phone and talking to them about their eternal destiny. And it's because he felt this in his heart that he needed to do this. This is what God called him to do with all this time now that he had as he's retired. And he can visit with people on the streets and talk to them about Jesus. And we did that for about four months. And he finally said, well, I think I got it. And boy, he's got it. And he does it. And it's because he was willing to not accept his fear in his heart. Because he began to have a burden in his heart. Not only for his two daughters who he witnesses on the phone that live in St. Louis, Missouri. But also for his neighbors and friends. He talks to them about Jesus. And you see, that's what God's calling us to do. That our faith, we don't look on ourselves for our faith. If you depend on yourself for your faith, you're in trouble. The unwavering faith we need as we walk with Jesus is a faith that cannot waver because it's rooted in Christ. And that it's anchored in Him. And no matter what happens, we trust him fully. That he will hold us in the faith as we continue to look 
at Him. And that we don't waver. Because there's things in this life that can easily make you waver. And one of the things is we begin to depend on ourselves, then we're in trouble. We need to wholly depend on Christ. Give it all over to Him. Trust Him. And that we can't allow the world, the crowd, to distract us. I've had it. A young lady I tried to share with, and she's, I talked to her, and she said, Well, I'm homosexual. I said, And Christ loves you. He wants to save you. Aren't you going to try to go? I said, No, you have to talk with Jesus about that. He'll help you through that, and if you want to read what God wants to say about that, I can show you. But my first concern is for your soul. You need Jesus. Because right now, you're not in a good spot. And she said, well, what do you think about it? And I said, well, I believe that God says it's an abomination. It's a curse. See, you're homophobic. You're one of those born-agains, aren't you? I'm born again, but I'm not homophobic. I love you. And you're more important to me to know the truth and to be saved for eternity than whether or not we agree upon that on this life. I love you, my friend. See, and, 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 and we can't look at that crowd. The naysayers. The people who want to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. There's a lot of them out there. As we talked about a few weeks, the way is wide for that. We've got to listen to Christ. And that we don't let our fears hold us back. We don't let our anxieties take control. But we, this is the way to do it. The writer of the Hebrews tells us how to do it. This is following Christ is like running the race of life. And that when you're a runner of a race, you take off everything that holds you down. You notice the uniforms for runners today are very thin. They don't want to have anything holding them back. In the Bible, the writer, the writer of the Hebrews says we need to strip off all those sins, all those fears, all those things that are holding us back from doing what God wants us to do. And know that He forgives us and gives us the strength to overcome them. And then not when we're running, running directly with our eyes fixed, the writer says. Fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ who's at the end of the track. And that we're running toward Him. And we don't do the looking on the side to see who's running alongside of us or what others are saying. We're fixed on Jesus. And we're willing to do whatever He wants so that we can be winners in the race. And that we can finish the gorse 
Get the prize, as Paul says. My Uncle Bob, who just died and they had his funeral yesterday and who helped us out immensely with our church here. One of the things he'd always say, whenever conversation we would have, and sometimes I would be telling him about what was going on in ministry, and, I, and he would talk about his church too, but he said, he would always say, Dave, remember, we win. We win. As Christians, we win. And it's because of Jesus Christ. And it's keeping our eyes fixed on him, the author and completer of our faith. And the question is, each one of us has a role in the Lord's kingdom. The question is, where are we going to be at? We need to know who we are. We need to know where we are. We need to honestly look at our lives and see this is how we got here now. And that we learn from the past. But then we look to the future. And we don't let those mistakes from the past hold us back. But we look to Christ. And move forward. Everybody's got a role. Moses. At the end of the journey, guess what happens with Moses? He stands on the mountain, watches the children of Israel go in. He did his job, and now he can go be with the Lord. Caleb goes into the land, settles his family, and enjoys the blessings of the land. And Joshua, he brought the children of Israel to the promised land. And went into the promised land and conquered areas so that they could live at peace and in harmony in the world. And the Bible is asking us, what do you want to be? God's got it for you. He wants you to look at him and run the race before you. Looking at the author and finisher of the race, Jesus Christ. Stripping off the bondage. And... and getting the victory. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for these folks today. Each one of us has challenges in our life. People that we love. People who are struggling. Situations in our own lives of decisions that we have to make. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us, Lord, to not become crippled by our fears and our anxieties, even our past. But help us to continue to look healthily into the future to you as you guide us into the promised land and to enjoy the beauty of this life and the wonderful hope we have for the future because of you, Christ. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. And I pray for each one of them to experience that fully in their lives. And in Jesus' name I pray that. Amen. Let's stand and receive our benediction. And close by singing or closing our hymn, this, The Lord is My Shepherd. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you now and forever. Amen.
The Lord, my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures sweet. He leadeth me the wide waters lie.